everyone, and welcome to this episode of Hear the Future, the podcast dedicated to gaining inside access to today's brightest minds through open discussion and deliberation. Today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by Dan Pinkhasi. Dan studied at Bentley University before going on to work as a wealth management analyst in Panama. He then switched gears to the world of startups by first working as the head of growth for an e-commerce platform before founding his own company, Benmetro, an online payroll lending platform operating out of Panama. Since then, he's switched sides again, this time to becoming a full-time technology investor with TPY Capital, an early-stage enterprise-focused venture capital fund based out of Tel Aviv, Israel. So, Dan, it's obviously great to have you joining us today. Given your very global footprint so far, perhaps you could start by telling us where you were brought up and a bit about your background. Sure. So, I was born and I grew up in Belgium in a little town called Antwerp, um, in a small Jewish um, community. Okay. And at the age of 18, I, you know, I had to think of what would be my next steps. Most of my friends and uh, college uh, um, friends went to the UK, Israel, stayed in Belgium, spread over Europe, and I decided to go to the US. So I did the whole process of studying for the G- for the SAT and uh, the TOEFL and all these uh, exams. And I finally joined Bentley University, which is a business school located in uh, Boston, um, in the suburbs of Boston. Um, and I did my, my undergrad in economics and finance. I always enjoyed following the markets. I, I loved learning about how the world economics work, how international finance influences our lives, um, and more specifically on how the impact of historical events affected um, the long-term economics and and social development across the world. Um, And then on a personal aspect, I also saw my father and both my my grandparents um, being business people. So for me, it was like the very natural way of studying business and more specifically economics and finance. Yeah, so you've always had a a passion then for business, econ, finance, when did your interest in technology sort of come about? Sure. So it's actually a bit late, let's say. I think today's students um, discover it pretty f- a bit faster um, than I did. Um, so I joined after being four years in college. I joined a private bank, a very big one called uh, Safra, as a wealth management analyst. And I have to say that that's where I discovered Uh, my interest or at least room for disruption um, with technology. Uh, You know, I opening accounts, everything was manual. Um, Compliance was manual processes, paperwork, uh, trades had to to be confirmed um, with the traders via email. Like there wasn't really an automated workflow. Um, And then at the same time in parallel, there was this whole fintech wave in the, you know, 2015s, uh, where Square was uh, founded, um, you had the Venmo that started, you had those big Stripe uh, as a payment processor, you had those huge wave um, in this fintech um, space. And that's where I really saw, especially when after moving, sorry, I forgot that part, after moving, after graduating, graduating from Bentley University, I moved to Latin America, 
I the original plan was to spend a year in Panama and I ended up being there for five years. Uh, my first year, like I said, I was a wealth management analyst at Safra. And then I discovered going back to the fintech space where um, speaking about manual work, the banking system and the financial institutions in Panama were completely managed um, in a very traditional and offline manner. And that's where I saw also disruption to uh, found um, you know, one of the first fintech companies in the region. That was back in 2015. That's that, that's really interesting. So yeah, so you originally planned on staying in Panama for one year, but you ended up staying for five. Um, what were some of the major components that influenced your decision for that? Yeah, so for my, first of all, my commitment to um, the Venmetro, which is an online lending platform, um, I was very dedicated to make it work, to, 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 to start this company. I also saw that there was room for disruption in the region. Um, and that made me basically stay for another, you know, four years after bank, after my banking experience. I was very happy. Um, it's a great place to, 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 to start a business. And, um, you know, we, we grew as a team. We were 15 employees. Um, and we we put a footprint in the financial um, ecosystem in Panama. Yeah, and I was kind of going to ask at the beginning, like, why Panama? How did that? I mean, I know sure. you started at Safra, so maybe that's why. And on top of that, I'd also be interested to know were there any like specific challenges that came about from being in Panama, like for example, the language or the culture? Sure. So so why Panama? So I. In, I studied at Bentley. There were a lot of Latin Americans in Boston. Um, I became really close friends with, uh, most of my group of friends were from Latin America, uh, all over. And then I went to visit um, my friends back home um, at spring break, Thanksgiving, and other holidays. And I really felt the connection to the charm and the well welcoming feeling um, of the people there. And it made me really remind me of the community I grew up in in Belgium. Yep. And I decided to make the move after graduating. I didn't want to stay in the US. I wanted to do something. I was always a contrarian. So let's say in college, all my friends, in high school, all my friends went to study in Europe or in Israel. And um, in the US, in, after college, most of my friends went to investment banking in the US. And I wanted to do something different. I knew that, you know, at the age of 21, you're free. You have no responsibility. The world is 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 is, is in front of you, and 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 that's why I decided to to go to Latin America. Um, didn't want to go back to Europe, and I yeah, the original plan was to stay at least a year. Ended up being five years, five great years. And like you said, I didn't speak Spanish. My friends were speaking Spanish around me. So I slowly catched up on that, but it's my Spanish really picked up when I, when we hired, when we started hiring uh, local Panamanians and Spanish speaking people. And when, especially when the product was geared to the Spanish speaking, you know, it's Panama is a Spanish speaking population. And uh, that's where I had to work on my Spanish. And I think uh, um, I did a good job. So Dan, maybe you could tell us a bit more about Venmetro itself, you know, what it did, what were some of the 
unique selling points um, of Metro? Sure. So initially, we, we had the idea of creating a peer-to-peer lending platform. Um, it was at the time where, you know, Prosper, Lending Club, and all these peer-to-peer lending platforms were exploding in the U.S. And we wanted to replicate that model in Latin America. Um, at the end, we decided to lend ourselves. First, because of regulations, we needed to have a banking license in Panama if we wanted to, um, if we were dealing with uh, deposits. And second, uh, we thought also that the business model was was much more profitable, um, do, lending it ourselves by getting the interest rates as well as the transaction fees. Um, so what is Venmetro? Venmetro is an online lending platform where the reimbursement of the person, of the individual, is tied to to his payroll. So for example, uh, if David works at the supermarket and gains a thousand uh, pounds a a month, and he owes us a monthly payment of a hundred pounds a month, uh, the supermarket would directly pay us those hundred pounds, and David would receive 900 from his employer. So, it reduces the, the default risk significantly. It's a very known model in Latin America. And uh, we decided to digitalize the, 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 pro- the process as well as having a much stronger underwriting process through the collection of uh, big data and um, a much more, more let's say, modern um, underwriting process. That's really, that's really interesting. Um, did you say you had a co-founder for Venmetro? And if so, how did you meet them? So I didn't have a co-founder. We I actually started the business with a conglomerate in Latin America, um, which they financed the platform and they financed um, the loans itself. Yeah. Um, so they were my, they were the investors. They they're the investors of the company. But in terms of co-founders, I I, I started the company by myself. We did have a CTO, um, you know, which helped me grow and, and 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 build the technology yeah and i mean so given then that you were like the core founder and the ceo what were some of the toughest obstacles that you had when you were scaling the metro sure so i think um in general the business in terms of obstacles i would say number one is regulation number two is finding the right talent number three the market education and maybe lastly um the replication of the U.S. model is not as trivial as people think, and I'll go deeper into the four of them. So, in terms of regulation, like I touched um, briefly before, we needed a banking license if we wanted to deposit um, the, the 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 loans for our, from our original peer-to-peer idea. Um, also, e-signatures isn't very clear in Panama, isn't maybe today it's accepted because of COVID acceleration, but before that, it's not used for legal documents. Um, so that was something we were a bit stuck on. Um, in terms of talent, you know, the lack of developers was an issue for us to literally um, hire and build a, a technology, hire, indivi- hire developers and build a technology. Um, also, it was challenging to find people that were very tech-minded and product-oriented. Most, you know, most of the workforce works in the traditional, um, non-innovative um, mm-hmm. industries and companies. 
Um, and then in terms of um, market education, it took us some time. Um, you know, not everyone understands how this online um, transaction works. Uh, think about it, people are only starting, not everyone has internet in Panama. Um, people are only starting to, to, to go to be online. And that was only five years ago. So we really had to build a strong customer support and build an easy and intuitive UX UI of the platform itself. And then again, replication of the US model, you know, you need to have some market adaptation. And I think this is what we did with the, um, with the payroll that was tied into the, the, the reimbursement process. Uh, also, it was a different la language, a different target uh, market. And yeah, I have to say that it market education was slower uh, than expected, even though we had a uh, vast first mover advantage. We were probably the first company that had uh, some digital um, process in the lending uh, in the lending um, industry in Panama. Right. I think we're, we're now keen to sort of move this more forward um, towards what, you, what you're doing now, which is working as a, as a full-time investor. Was moving into VC always in the back of your mind at some point um, when, when you started your career? I always loved the investment aspect. Um, VC is kind of, it's not a new um, industry, but it, it, it was definitely not at the back of my mind, let's say when I graduated college. Um, when I started my, you know, when when we when I started Ven Metro, I did, um, I, I I developed some self interest in uh, the investment side. I also invested with some friends in a in a Mexican company that did the Y Combinator, um, and that's where I think my my love towards investing started. Um, yeah, but I think the real move was when I decided to move from Panama to Israel about two years ago, um, and I wanted to to gain some general overview of the ecosystem. I think venture capital gives you a great view of what's going on, who are the players, what are the trends that are going on in the in, in you know in the technology space, and for me, even though I was most of my career in uh, technology. It was uh, being a venture capitalist is a different experience. I first of all, I was mostly focused on B two C businesses, and here at TPY, which is the venture capital I'm at now, um, we're investing in B two B enterprise software. So you know, it's a different uh, process, a different buyer, a different um, product that you're building. So even though it, they're all related in technology, I think broadly speaking, it's still a very different um, play than what I did before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious to know a bit more, just more generally about your sort of day-to-day, -day. Um, you know, what's it like? What sort of schedules do you have in place? Is there any rituals that you'll do every day? Um, yeah, maybe you could just tell us a bit more about your typical day. Sure, so the, the, the thing I love the most in venture capital is that there is no single day that repeats itself. It's always different. Um, you know, you're always meeting new companies. You're always analyzing new companies that come from different um, sectors. 
sometimes you work on deal flow, sometimes you work on portfolio, sometimes you work on the funds, you know, administration and, and marketing. So there is no single day that repeats itself and very rarely tasks that, you know, repeat themselves. Yeah. So I think that's the thing I love the most about uh, VC. Speaking more towards that, um, how have you seen the, the Israeli startup ecosystem change um, over the past few months? Uh, I guess with, with any major global event, um, yeah. have you seen maybe an increase in the amount of innovation and new companies being started? Or, or how do you see that? So it's funny. In terms of innovation, so, so, so let me take a step back and, and tell you what we do here at TPY, because every venture capital is different. We're investing mostly in uh, post-seed stage. Yep. which is typically revenue generating companies that you know have anywhere between 500,000 to 5 million dollars of top line um and we're dealing broadly speaking in the B2B enterprise software um so in terms of disruption and covid i think it's funny but let's say before corona every slide every deck we would see had something with ai like an entire mm. slide of artificial intelligence. Today, every startup has a deck on COVID-19 effect. So it's not necessarily disruption, but it's definitely something that that everyone's thinking of, especially us, you know, like the sales cycle is changing, the way you're selling is changing before you would go to conferences. Now you have to attract prospects through webinars and through inbound sales and through cold calling um uh so 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 and the need for 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 every company has changed drastically because of corona um but i think broadly speaking we see um at the beginning let's say march april we we it was like a little bit of a panic moment where everyone thought you know that the world is ending and all companies took measurements to to improve their or or increase their runway you know, whether by decreasing their, their current burn rate or, um, you know, let's say um, being more careful about how they're spending. Yeah, I think I, I think that uh, today, you know, six months after, no one expected it to be so, so long and companies have managed to sell even though they can't travel, even though they can't meet with the, with their champion at the company. And especially from the customer perspective, everyone needs to, to be digital today. So generally speaking, I think, um, you know, Corona did, didn't do as much damage as we thought in March it would. Um, of course, you know, no one knows how long it will last. So cash is king for startups. So companies are still being careful with the way they're spending the mon their, their their budgets. Um, people thought that they would be traveling by now. They, they weren't. But we do see that it's a much calmer environment than what it was a few months ago. Right. I'm also curious to hear your thoughts on this. So Israel has championed so many successful startups and exits from Mobileye to Waze, Viber, uh, you know, SodaStream. Yeah. What actually makes the Israeli startup ecosystem so strong and successful? 
Sure. So I think what makes it the most special is the upbringing and, and the education. So every 18-year-old in Israel has to go to the army, woman and man. Uh, women have to go two years and men have to go three years. And I think what we see is, especially people that were in intelligence units or let's say cybersecurity have, you know, after they, they, after they, they, they finish the army, they typically spend more than three years in the army, then they go to, to study. And, you know, they start their studies in their 20s, 22, 23 year old. So they know exactly, they have much more time to think of what they want to do and what they want to specialize. You know, when we're 18, we're not, we're pretty young and we need to decide, yeah, what we want to do. And we typically take the thing that, you know, either our parents told us to do or our friends are doing or, or what the school suggests. People that are studying, people that are doing the army typically start their studies later and they have a much clearer idea of what they want to do because they're 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 starting it at a later stage. So I think that's definitely um, you know one of the reasons. The other reason I think is uh, Israel has always managed to 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 develop itself without having any um, natural resource. So it's a relatively new country, um, seventy something year old. And it still managed to be a very, very big player in the tech space. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, the, 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 the government helped a lot with the grants and with budgets um, that are geared towards uh, technology. And so these are all the reasons of why Israeli companies are, are very successful. Yeah. I guess, Dan, as an investor, what are some of the key characteristics that you look for in a founding team? I think the dynamics between the the founding team is definitely something important. You know, sometimes if they work together in the past is a good indicator. If they come from different backgrounds is also a good indicator. Um, typically, we would like to have to see people that that are solving a pain point that they've experienced it themselves, that they know you know, the ecosystem players, and it's not something that they just jumped on it just because it was a trendy um, space and they took advantage of the of the boom. Um, I think what we love, especially here at TPY, is, uh, you know, second, third timers that have their foot on the ground. And it's not because, you know, you're, you sold your company for X amount of millions of dollars that you, you think yourself of being you know, superior. Um, this is something we really admire when the second or third timer comes to our office and he's very humble and very down to earth. It's definitely a plus for us. Yeah. How do you determine which sectors are ripe for disruption? Sure. So, so, so we're do, we're looking. We have two two different uh, theses. They're also overlapping each other. The first one is. Um, you know, we believe that there is a surge in data that enterprises are collecting and accumulating huge amount of data. So anything that has to do with moving the data from on-prem to cloud, and then even once it's in the cloud, um, you know, the whole movement of moving a data from the database up until the being able to do analytics and artificial intelligence on 
um, techniques on that data is definitely something that is interesting for us. So it's the entire data stack, you know, uh, data scientists, um, data monitoring solutions, uh, data pipelining, um, and the entire cloud vendor cost and usage optimization. These are definitely fields that we love. And then the second one is um, productivity and effectiveness for enterprises. So anything that can automate the, you know, workflows in companies. So that's anywhere from DevOps, DevTools, um, HR tech, sales and marketing solutions, anything that can cut cost and optimize effectiveness in an organization is also something we, we really love. I guess, have, have you seen personally enterprise spending um, going down, I guess, due to tighter budgets? Um, or has this sort of, uh, has Corona, I guess, increased maybe a, a lot of their, their digitalization um, processes and, and therefore maybe their spending's gone up? I think companies are more, let's say, and customers or enterprises are more, uh, open to work with startups today uh, because of Corona and because of digital digitization. But on the other hand, um, not that they're taking advantage, it's a reality. Budgets have squeezed, so they're open to engage in a much faster way. But in terms of contract value, we see significantly that this has decreased because of Corona. And then um, also, you know, startups today are are negotiating less because it's harder to get to the client and they say we will start small but we will upsell as time goes by to increase our contract value with this customer right and i guess kind of building on that you mentioned covid and how that plays a role do you think covid has accelerated the dominance of many tech companies far quicker than we would have expected yeah you can look at the stock market what's happening is uh is insane um i think it did um you know we see large corporate large corporations that would we would have never thought they'd move to the cloud uh doing it in a in a lapse of a few months just because of business continuity um they had no choice you know financial institutions that on-prem was you know a no-brainer for them moved to the cloud geographies, Latin America especially, that are all working in a very, um, you know, traditional and non-modern um, architecture are all, had, they had to move to the cloud. They had no choice if they wanted business continuity. So, yeah, definitely. And do you think this dominance can be sustained or do you think maybe just being a bit like buffed up right now given uncertainty in other industries? I think time will tell, but I think companies will realize the benefits of adopting technology. You know, it's um, it's not for nothing that you know tech is is dominating um, you know the world and disrupting. And it's not COVID that made it realize. I think it's just an accelerator for yeah. for companies to to realize it. Yeah. So I think our audience would, first of all, love to know how you actually found your role at TPY Capital. And maybe if there are any portfolio companies that you can talk about, that would also be really interesting. Sure. So um, 
So yeah, when I decided to move to Israel from Panama, um, you know, I looked for some funds that I'd be interested in working at and I got into TPY. I was really intrigued by their, you know, messaging and thesis. And then I reached out to them and they were uh, hiring because they closed, uh, they were about to close uh, their second fund, which they did of a hundred million dollars. Um, so I went through the interview processes and uh, it, it was successful. Um, and since then, uh, I'm at the company for over a year and a half. And in, in terms of portfolio companies, yeah, so far we did uh, 10 investments. Most of them are public, um, are available online on our website. Um, some of the you know, cool ones, uh, a company called uh, AI21, which is literally building a textual AI platform. They're trying to be, um, you know, understand how a language or how a sentence is built. Uh, this can be taken to any um, application that has to do with language. So think about, you know, potentially grammar, gra grammarly or helping um, editors write stuff. So it's a very, very strong team of uh, 30 plus um, developers and, and, and data scientists that are developing a very strong textual AI platform. Another company that I, that I love is, um, is called um, Paramount Data. Uh, we touched upon it, which they're building a new database. So today you have relational database and NoSQL databases. They each have their own pros and their cons. And uh, what Paramount Data does is that it takes the pros of the um, relational database, which is linearity and reliability. And also it takes the pros of NoSQL, which is um, um, elastic and being able to... to flexibility. The flexibility, correct, yeah. of, the, of, of your data. Um, so it's a very promising company with uh, serial entrepreneurs. And then we have a bunch of, we did two investments lately in uh, quantum com quantum computing space. One that is uh, quantum software and the other one that's in uh, quantum hardware. We did another invest investment in a marketing intelligence platform. Um, another two investments actually in dev tools. One that is um, auto complete. So, you know, developers are, when you're typing a sentence on Gmail, it completes your, your sentence. So it does the same thing for developers in their IDE, in their coding environment. It auto completes um, the, the coding line for the investor, for the, sorry, for the developer. Um, and we also did um, a company called OneView, which takes a satellite imagery and uh, provides um, machine learning data sets with a mix of synthetic data. Um, yeah, but most, we did extend another company which is doing extended reality. So today they are, they're in drones. So you put a VR glass on you and you can literally navigate with the drone with the movement of your hand in a super, super accurate way. Um, these are just a few examples of uh, investments we did lately. Sounds like you guys are really doing a lot. And on, on top of that, it's not just the investment. I know you also help with the recruitment side, the strategy, sort of the finances. How does how does such a small team, because you guys are four people, if I'm correct, right? Yeah. How do you manage such a big group of portfolio companies? 
we work hard. Um, no, but we we work. We were there for our companies as much as they need. You know, with some companies, we're more involved than others. Um, but broadly speaking, yeah, we help them a lot with uh, talent and with uh, especially intros with uh, potential commercial um, engagements. We we intro them to integrators and uh, consultants that could potentially embed the solution in their offering. Uh, we tend to to work a lot with our companies on uh, go-to-market sessions. We we are let's say more involved than the average uh, VC here. Uh, it's something that we like. Again, it 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 really depends on the company and on the founders themselves of how much engagement they want. But yeah, in terms of time, you know, we we deal with it. It's a priority for us. This portfolio success is our success, and it's very important. Um, and we we managed to create time for it. It's 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 a very important step. So Dan, I think we're now going to close off with our signature question that we ask all of our guests, um, which is: If you could change one thing in the next ten years um, across the entire world, what would it be and why? Wow, that's a tough one. Okay, um, so non-related to work, I think um, if I take this question into like, what's my dream in the next ten years? is i hope that one day we'll be able to you know today most of the wars crimes hate is because mostly religion and i hope we can keep religion as a mean of lifestyle culture tradition uh, but not as a mean of division torture discrimination so i hope you know if i could impact something in the next 10 years across the entire world like you said in your question i hope that it's that the ability to live with religion as a mean of lifestyle and not as a mean of war and crime that's that's, that's a really good answer top marks top marks dan <laughs> awesome. well it's been a pleasure speaking with you dan thanks so much for your time thanks for having me thanks dan